part of it is you have to have that feedback loop if you are trying to build sort of a collaborative culture, a co-creating culture. Are you making decisions on your own or are you really inclusive of people? Are you slowing down enough to do that? So part of the way we can know whether we are aligned is having that feedback loop and uh, whether, you know, it's us or having someone that we trust to get that feedback on. Here's the culture I want to build. Here's the culture that exists now. And if it's not too big of a delta, there's something you could do about it or you may need to be more realistic. So. And I don't think it's so different in the virtual culture. It just requires more work, more thoughtfulness than it would if we were in that traditional environment. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a Quantivos coach. Our guest today is Ron Ross. Ron is the owner of Avant HR Solutions, which is a consulting firm working primarily in the area of healthcare. But our topic today is going beyond healthcare, so don't hang up. <laughs> Please don't. Welcome, Ron. Thank you, Brian. It is so good to be with you. I appreciate you having me on the show. Ron, we're going to talk about something that I think every leader, with few exceptions, is wrestling with these days, which is virtual culture. Yes. And I think the only ones not wrestling with it are the ones who think everybody belongs back in the office. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Love it. Love it. Let's get into it. What draws you to this topic? I think Things are changing, as you said, you know, the pandemic really showed a lot of people that you can do things like you thought you couldn't virtually because you had to. Culture is the thing that good leaders may go. And I think culture is so difficult to impact in this virtual environment. So it, it honestly was harder in the, you know, traditional work environment if leaders weren't tuned in. I think it's it's infinitely harder virtually, but it's not impossible. I think it just requires, use the word before we got on called intentional, it requires more intentionality on the part of the leader to really create that culture and to really connect with people. So I'm, I'm interested to dig into it because I think uh, it's a simple skill set, but it requires thought, pre-planning, uh, and, and intention to really do well. To set the stage, I'd like to pull on a uh, a few other conversations that we've had along the way. The first is that leaders are those who have followers. It has nothing to do necessarily with title. Not at all. Um, the other is that leaders really are culture shapers and or culture keepers. And so shaping this virtual culture, building it, keeping it, sustaining it really 
rests on the shoulders of those who have followers. And lastly, sort of as a foundation for me, is the realization very early in my career that there will be a culture. The only question is whether it's intentional or whether it evolves of its own volition. Yeah, well said. How do you begin to reshape? Because now anyone who is going hybrid or has gone 100% virtual, things have evolved. There is some form of culture in place, whether or not it is what was intended. Yeah. Because nobody, I don't think, was worried about culture when all of a sudden, overnight, we had to move the entire workforce um, into a remote environment. How do you begin to think about what is the culture we need now? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say go small. I think from everything I've read, what I'm seeing is the big culture is one thing. Uh, if you're working for a a small company, you know, you're the owner of the company. If you're working for a mid-sized company, it's sort of what you say, your executive team. And if you're, you know, a really large company, that's good. But really the experience that followers have that, you know, you're leading, it's really at that micro level. And I think whether you're small business owner, medium-sized business, you have to pay attention to the skill sets that your leaders have because the the culture of your company is not what you put out at that macro level it's not the pretty words that you on your on your website it is the combination of the attention the conversations the quality of those conversations how people feel and that requires skill sets that requires practice and that requires mentorship uh, it's no one's born being able to really have really great, robust conversations and know how to tune into people. It is something that you really have to learn how to do. And I think particularly in this sort of environment that we're talking about, you really have to pay attention. It's it's starting off simple is like, do I know sort of what the headspace is, the emotional headspace uh, of the folks that are following me that I'm leading? Um, so if I'm doing a virtual session and I'm a coach and I'm leading uh, leaders and I'm trying to teach them, I always start off with like, how are you? Let's do this. Let's check in. Well, when you're a hybrid or you're in a virtual environment, now requires more work. You may need to use text. You may need to use Zoom chat. You may need to pick up the phone and say, hey, Sarah, I'm just checking on you. I just, I don't need anything from you. This is me just getting a pulse check. Do you need anything from me? It requires those, those baseline efforts to really start. You use the word that I don't often use, but I think it's an important word. You said those folks. The word I tend to use is people and actually just put into the queue a podcast on people-centric leadership where we talk about the challenges that human resources as a term, uh, the challenge that employees as a term puts on us as leaders, because even if it wasn't true before, and I believe it was true for many years, it is now important to be able to connect to people. Hmm. And I was just leading a group uh, coaching session with one of our clients last week when one of the leaders said, 
I don't have time. How do you respond to, I don't have time to connect with the people on my team? I would say if you're not connecting with the people on your team, you are not really leading. You're just tasking and, and hoping. And the research is clear too. It's the, if you take two teams and you have a leader who builds robust connections with those individuals and they make sure that the individuals have connections that are independent of that leader, they're going to outperform that other team every time. It's, it's really, I look at connection is the pathway to really have those conversations, whether you're trying to inspire someone to get more out of them or you're trying to correct behavior for the folks that you're leading, the pathways are through sort of those informal connections. When you have to have that conversation, whether it's positive or corrective, and you haven't built connections, it feels odd and it's not effective. It's not as effective as it could be. So. Um, so if you're not doing it, you're not truly leading. Uh, to me, leadership is, is those choices that you make. If you have the leader as your responsibility, whether it's because you're an influencer or by title, there's certain things that are required. And I think connection is one of them, really being able to communicate well, being able to coach, uh, to just name a few, but connection kind of is the foundation for a lot of the things that I just mentioned. The end of the story is that, in fact, that individual said, I get it. I need to make time. This is how I'm going to do that. So I don't want to leave listeners thinking that, <laughs> that we, we left it at, I don't have Of course, have time. I know you didn't do that. <laughs> Ron, I love that word that you just used, connection. Let's talk about how you establish and maintain that connection in a remote or a hybrid environment. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna give you a couple of things. I know you'll, you'll add to it. So I appreciate the collaboration in this conversation. So I think I told you when we were talking about, you know, this is so important to me. My wife and I just, you know, finished a, a book and it's really around about this whole thing. And it's, it's about inspiring people. And, and part of it we talk about is it starts off with, with connection, but, Believe it or not, I'm going to say it starts off with you have to be in a good place as a leader yourself. Simple as that. Uh, I call it priming, but you have to be connected with yourself. You need to know where you are. There is a lot of research that says even when a leader is not physically in the room, their followers know whether in a good mood. They know by the level of communication, how informal it is, how formal it is. So you need to know sort of where you are. So if you have a rough week coming up or you have a lot of things that have to happen and you're trying to connect with people, it starts with connecting with yourself. And uh, I like to do a lot of analogies between leadership and high performance athletics because I think it's very synonymous. No athlete goes out on sort of the performance stage and does not stretch, does not warm up, does not do what he or she needs to do. And I think for leaders, I think we have to connect with ourselves, be grounded, and now we can handle sort of the emotionality. We can pick up and be perceptive about what's happening on the other side, but it, it truly starts with being connected with oneself, priming oneself for performance. I want to build on that just a little bit. I'm going to be recording a podcast um, in the not-too-distant future with uh, Oscar Tromboli, and Oscar's the author of a book he's done 
decades of research on how to listen. And he talks about listening at five levels. We're only going to hit the first level right now, which is listen to yourself. What is going on in your mind that is filtering what you're hearing and what you're about to say? Yeah. What is distracting you from being present in the moment with that other or those others in this conversation? If you're not connecting to yourself, if you're not listening to yourself, you're not going to be very effective in hearing or in in any way supporting the success of others. Well said. I, you know, one of the worst mistakes I've made as a leader was failing to listen to myself. I was upset and I was right in the feedback I wanted to give, but the only thing the person heard was my anger and my frustration. So as righteous as I might've been, um, the impact in that moment, the impact later on to the rest of the team was disastrous because I didn't listen to myself. Is this the right moment to have this conversation? Am I in the right place? So it's been a powerful, long lasting lesson that like, I need to know, am I in the right position for the conversation? for connection and is the other person in the right space oftentimes in coaching like right away i'm like how are you oh good i'm like no how are you really and now we're connecting and we have to teach people to go beyond that that trite level of i'm good i'm okay because most of it's bs anyway so when you're able to get beyond that what else goes into connecting in a virtual relationship I'm a big believer that you have to create sort of the container that is filled with safety, filled with understanding, filled with honesty. So if you're trying to connect with another human being, another person is you have to show up as yourself. You have to be honest. And if you are someone who is, who uses strong language and the culture, like, Fits that you got to be real. If you want someone else to be real with you, let the guard down so they can let the guard down. And that's part of creating uh, that, you know, container and like tuning in at multiple levels of listening. So it's, it's what they're saying and then it's what they're not saying. So you're, you're, you got to be in that space where you can really make it safe for folks to really, whether it's one-on-one or one-on-many, um, you're creating that that environment or that container uh, that really gives rise to to connection. So, Ram, we are able to build connection. How do we define the culture we're going to build? I think we we define the culture. Um, a lot of it's based on who you are as a leader. So, I'm like, uh, you. I like the word you use. Are you you building culture no matter whether you're aware of it or not? As the leader, whether you're leading a few people or a lot of people, it is, what am I trying to accomplish? Where am I going? Where do I want the team to go? And based on that, like, what is the environment? What serves sort of this organization, this business that I'm trying to do? It starts with that, like, clear intention. But, I, you know, if you're the leader, the, the culture is going to be primarily set based on you. So it requires you to have some self-reflection. Let's just say you want to create a very competitive 
fast-paced culture. You have to be honest with yourself. First conversation with yourself. Uh, am I a fast-paced competitive person or am I overly competitive? So does the culture that you're trying to create mirror match who you are? Does it mirror match the people that you've hired? And, and if it doesn't, um, that ju it just may be pretty words on the page. And we, we tend to create cultures that are closer to sort of really our personality, um, our communication styles. That's the next step, I would say, is like, make sure you know what you're bringing to the table. Be honest with yourself about the culture that you wish to create versus the culture that you're actually creating. I really appreciate that insight that we need to be aligned with our culture. We need to be aligned with our intent. We need to be aware of whether those we're bringing on board or those who are, are on board are aligned in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a thing of judgment. Now, if you are that highly competitive, fast driving leader and you envision that the success of your organization, whether it's a department or, you know, a global entity is based on being hard driving, uh, fast moving. That's okay. Absolutely. And, and if you're a reflective, thoughtful, sort of thought leader in the marketplace, but always working to stay just a little bit ahead of where that market goes, that's okay too. And like you said, if those are the words and your persona and the persona of those who are living to fulfill whatever that purpose is uh, are different, it ain't going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember doing a, a session and the, the leader was hearing some words. We're doing sort of an appreciation. And when he got the words about sort of like the leader he was being, I'm like, he looked so upset. And I was like, what's, what's the matter? He says, those are great words, but that's not what I've been working on. <laughs> so like part of it is you have to have that feedback loop. If you are trying to build sort of a collaborative culture, a co-creating culture, are you making decisions on your own or are you really inclusive of people? Are you slowing down enough to do that? So part of the way we can know whether we are aligned is having that feedback loop and uh, whether, you know, it's us or having someone that we trust to get that feedback on. Here's the culture I want to build. Here's the culture that exists now. And if it's not too big of a delta, there's something you could do about it, or you may need to be more realistic. So, and I, and I don't think it's so different in the virtual culture. It just requires more work, more thoughtfulness than it would if, if we were in that traditional environment. A piece of this conversation that I think is important, Ron, is that culture isn't dictated by your industry. And in that vein, I want to call up the, the work of Bob Chapman, who is CEO of Barry Waymiller and now of, of other companies as well. But Barry Waymiller manufactures equipment that manufactures stuff. So it is a very you know, labor intensive blue collar environment. And when Bob stepped into that position, it took him some time, but he realized that the culture that was, wasn't the culture he wanted. Hmm. 
and the culture he wanted is reflected in the name of uh, the book that he wrote back in 2015, Everybody Matters, mm. The Extraordinary Power of Caring for Your People Like Family. Mm. That defines a culture. And it's not a culture we would identify with manufacturing industry, if you will. So the culture isn't defined by the work that the organization is doing. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I would even go further. It's not even defined uh, just by the power of a very charismatic and caring leader because he or she has to make sure that the people that are really the culture stewards really have the skills and are bought in like he or she who is leading the organization. And I think that's one of the key things in the virtual environment is how do you know that the microcultures for the folks that are really leading the team's departments are actually mirroring sort of like what you want. So I'll give you an example, a culture that says we are very flexible. We believe in workplace balance at the top. And then at the individual level, the supervisor is like, but you better be online till this time. Yes, we have summer hours, but you better be checking your, your email. That's not congruent with the culture that the leader is trying to create. And you have to find a way to trust, but you have to be verifying that those folks that are curating that microculture are really consistent with what you say as well. And a lot of times it does have nothing to do with the industry, but really the skill level, um, the openness of those individual leaders that make up sort of your collective leadership team. I want to give another example of that because it speaks to the concept of remote work. Just finished up working over the, about the last 15 months with five levels of leadership in a 10,000 person plus blue collar division wow. of an organization. And the culture of the organization, the culture of the industry is more than a century old and it's command and control. It is top down. We are a 24 seven business. I'm starting at 630 in the morning and I'm calling every one of my direct reports and making sure that they're on the job and they're calling every one of their supports, et cetera, et cetera. And they wanted to change the culture and they wanted to change the culture from that top down to a much more servant leadership mm. uh, type of culture, a culture that broke the silos and brought together the people that needed to come together to do whatever that job was and empowered them to make the decisions to make that happen. Mm. And what I realized when we were working together and, and what you really brought to mind um, when you were talking about sort of those subsets is if you're a big organization, you have at some level been working remotely since you started growing outside of headquarters. It's just now a much more intentional relationship, if you will. It is. It is. That, um, you know, these 15 leaders I was talking about, they would travel their regions regularly to ensure that the culture they were trying to was being shaped at the local level as well. Yeah. 
that can happen just as easily, if not more easily, actually, if the culture we're shaping is a virtual culture rather than a distant physical one. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think it requires leaders at the upper level to do things like, I'm going to check in with someone, I'm going to skip a level. And to be clear on telling sort of your your direct reports, here's why I'm going to do it, because this helps you. You know, a lot of times people are more open to share with me at my level what they see. Um, they see I have more resources, but to have conversations and really listen from multiple levels and are the things that people are managing up, like they, people have this wonderful ability to lead up, are they being mirrored? And, and is there any radar going off when you're doing these spot checks? It's not even optional. It's a requirement. If you're trying to build a culture virtually, you have to take the time out um, to join meetings of folks. So there's that time question again. If you're trying to build culture, you have to do a little bit of that. And, and it doesn't take long. Um, and it goes so far. Nothing makes a sort of young, hungry, motivated employee feel more connected to the organization than when they have a leader a couple levels beneath the, uh, above them do a check-in call, uh, whether it be a chat, uh, whether it be a video call, whether it be a phone call. There's something powerful about that. And then really listen. So that that's the other thing. Like to listen and to put that person really at ease, it's it's amazing and and um connective in nature by doing some very, very simple practices like that. And to make that happen, you need to, as part of your culture, build trust. Yes. <laughs> I can I can speak two levels up without going through my boss. Yeah. Yeah. And Ooh. and trust that I'm safe to do so. And my boss can trust that I'll do so with integrity. Yes. Yes. I, I just did a uh a post and it was really pulling from the book. It's like you know your organization has created psychological safety when sort of the lowest status person on the team feels comfortable giving suggestions, feedback, and throwing their ideas out there. You won. Like when they're doing that, you have created sort of a safe culture. There's trust there. And when like their managers aren't squeamish when they're giving it, uh, you know you've done something pretty uh, magical. Th that a lot of cultures are not like that, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I want to add to that, who better to know how the customer is and is not being served than that, pardon the expression, lowest person on the, it, on it, the organizational Yeah, chart. they're closer to the issue. That's They see, they know the pain. And so at the graveyard of initiatives, whether you're sort of a long-term private company trying to change culture, whether you're trying to put in a new IT system, it is not asking people who are impacted because, you know, they don't know, <laughs> but they really do know. And they have an incredible way of either facilitating the change that you're trying to do or just subconsciously or consciously getting in the way because we fail to really include and ask them and really treat them as people and um, smart, intelligent folks and to include them in solutions that impact them. So 100% agree with you. So I'm just building on that for one second out of my change management experience, including them in the solution 
means they own the solution. You're helping to reduce the resistance of the change. You're helping to ensure that the solution is more likely to be the one that's needed than one that's just driven from the top. Yeah. And, and what you're doing is something I don't think we do enough in organizations is we're doing more apprenticeship type leadership where you learn by watching someone who is more skilled do it. So by bringing people in who are newer and giving them the empowerment that you're talking about and allowing them to fail safely, to skin their knees, you create more capacity in your organization, more than any formal program that you can do when you push that level of power and ownership down at the level where it should be. You just said something that I was getting ready to wrap us up, but you just said something I want to explore just a little bit. How do you intentionally build on that apprentice leadership so that those who are experiencing that draw the lessons of leadership from that? I I mean, just two, two, two ways I'll say, first of all is like to delegate, because I think there's where the power is, is like as a leader thinking about who's in a position to take over parts of what I do, who is showing potential. So you're always scanning your environment, looking for folks and what they can do. I call it noticing, but noticing what the skills are not now, but what they are capable of really in in the future. And I'll say the second thing is just having this conversation. I told you it was together with some men and a uh, gentleman who runs sort of a, a multiple factories, manufacturers, not mine, but he was asking for advice. And I'm like, when someone comes to you and their idea is not great, like celebrate that they came to you and like, how do you make the idea even though you have more experience, more maturity, you you know sort of what the issues are, how do you really make that person feel amazing for coming to you with an idea to try to save your company money? And those are those apprenticeship opportunities. Some of them you have to make and some of them you just have to respond to. Ron, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Uh, it's been such a, such a blast. Thanks so much. I'm sure... There's a whole lot more we could add, and maybe we'll come back together another day and do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.